with me. I don't think that's such a good idea. It's a wonderful idea. It'll be wonderful. We'll be at peace in the afterlife. You don't have to worry about finding work. Bella, I'm on your side. Give me the gun. If you give me the gun, I'll make you a drink. What are you drinking, Bella? Formaldehyde. Straight up around the rocks. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spin Posh Presents Pictures Powwow. I am one of your hosts, Ron Swinski. And I am Bartek. Hello, Bartek. How are you? Very good in the new year. Happy 2020. Welcome to the new decade. Do you feel different? Yeah. I had a shower before I came. That's all we needed to know. Believe it or I not, listening naked? people, you can no, you no longer need to email in like you have been about, does Bartek bathe? He, in fact, does bathe, but only once every decade. <laughs> we have to wait till 2030 for him to bathe next I time. I really, really messed up doing it so early in the decade. You you fucked it up big time. Now, now when the new depression hits, My second last you will sh- be even stinkier than the rest of us. My second last shower was right after the Big Fat Liar episode. Exactly. <laughs> so, there you go. Alright, so, um, we're spin Polish, likingly, because we're always spitting, and we both happen to be Polish. That's why... Bartek only bathes once every decade, and I bathe twice every decade because I'm less Polish. Um, so <laughs> even though bathing is the clo- closer to like polishing something, so. no, but the culture, the people, mm. we smelly. Have you smelt the food? <sighs> mm. So Bartek's like, mm, <laughs> it does smell, and it doesn't taste nice. <laughs> I mean, if you ask a like legitimately super polished person, they'd be like, "Oh, it's the most pishna thing in the world." Of course, of course, they would say that. They've got a bias. They also say, "Fuck women's rights" or whatever. Ale pishna. Yeah, yeah, down women's rights. Yeah, uh, uh, women don't have free choice in Poland. Woo! I'm saying so, delicious, but it's mainly the same thing. Yeah, it's it's all the same thing. Yeah, boo, patriarchy, yay. So we're doing our show, Pictures Powwow, uh, a show in which we cover a movie that has come recommended. This episode, it was recommended by you, Bartek. Yes. Uh, in preparation for the guest that we had on, I picked a good film for them. We did. We were <laughs> going to have a guest, but Bartek, you jinxed it. At the end of the last episode, you are like, you know, barring any circum- bad yeah. circumstances, we'll have a guest. And that, and I was just like, ooh, you shouldn't have, shouldn't have tempted God like that. So unfortunately, the it's guest... It's bad enough we don't do Polish Lent. The, 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 the guest, unfortunately, has been um, smote... Uh, the past tense of smite. Yes, not to be confused with smitten. They're not smitten, they are smoten though. So, it is just us, we're doing your film, which was? Ed Wood from 1994. Yes, the Tim Burton movie. With Johnny Depp, not uh, an actual Ed Wood movie. (laughs) Yes, that's true. So, we're going to be talking about it. Listening people, if you haven't watched Ed Wood, give it a watch. We're going to be talking about it in depth going to be back and forth thing about it it's a good movie it's it's pretty easy to find it's a pretty easy watch as well it's not like super intense or anything it's a tim burton everyone loves tim burton or they either hate him but most people agree that this is one of his last great films like properly great with no holds barred about it like after this period of time people are like oh maybe big fish or oh maybe this movie like not everyone agrees, so this is like the it's, end of an era. It's really this and Dark Shadows. 
No. <laughs> Get out. Dark Shadows fucking sucked. I remember, yeah. It was no home for peculiar children. Miss Peregrine's home for peculiar children. Was that Tim Burton as well? Yes. Okay. See how good it was? You didn't know it was him. I didn't see it, so I don't know. I did. So, this was your choice, Bartek. Mm-hmm. So, talk us through your history with this movie. So, in preparation for this episode, I had my third viewing of the film... I, you know what? I, I can't remember the exact year of the first one, but I think it's been once a decade so far for me. Wow. Because the first time I watched it, I was definitely a teenager still in school. Uh, the second time I watched it was earlier last year to show to my stepbrother, which was very much just the, hey, this is a good film I remember, but I was also like talking him through it the whole time. Like, this is a real guy. These films are real, stuff like you're, that. You were that kind of guy, yeah. Yeah, my, my stepbrother, I was explaining it for him because he's not as much a movie guy, but mm. he enjoyed it too. That 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 guy, with, that's not Vincent D'Onofrio's voice coming out of Vincent D'Onofrio, that's Orson Welles. Mm, he would have right. been fatter and greyer at this point, but forget that. My stepbrother knew Pinky and the Brains. I'm like, that's brain. He's <laughs> <laughs> um, based on Orson Welles, the guy who did Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane was in that one episode of The Simpsons, remember that? Well, fun fact, in the early, early, early days of our podcast when I did that Orson Welles voice, it was me just trying to remember how it sounded in this film. Yeah. Um, and then this viewing, it was, you know, me watching it alone again, and I really got to appreciate it and love it all the more. Yeah, my history with this is... Uh, and we can back and forth this too, because my history with this is my history with Tim Burton as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can get into your history with him as well. Uh, I love, love Tim Burton. I say love still with a present tense, because I still love those movies that, that, that I enjoy. Like I said, this is a real cutoff point in which, and I love Mars Attacks, actually. So Mars Attacks is a cutoff point, but a lot of people don't like that. But I grew up loving Tim Burton stuff, Mars Attacks, Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, this, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, uh, and uh, like these movies, those movies, uh, and the the Batmans and whatnot. I love them. I love them, love them, love them. In my DVD collection, I'm surprised in my collection that I have so many Tim Burton movies, even his bad ones, because there was that point in time in which they weren't truly awful enough for you to disown him as a director, but there comes a certain point in which you just kind of lost interest. I lost interest in him. I don't know about you, but there just comes a certain point where I was just like, uh, you know, I remember it was Sweeney Todd. I, I remember watching Sweeney Todd. A lot of people love Sweeney Todd. I don't like Sweeney Todd, the movie. It's not for me. Uh, there's some things in it, but that's when it kind of he lost me. But I always think of, like, the dynamic between him and Johnny Depp as, like, that famous actor and auto director and at first it happens with like edward and bella <laughs> you know at first it happens and people love it and they're like this is great and unique and now people are sick of it people don't want them working together they want them separate from one another there's always those jokes of like you know it's always going to be the same movie johnny depp's going to do like a silly character with makeup on yeah and and he's going to be in a tim burton wonderland and of course alice in wonderland was the real nail in the coffin for like for most people, I think for Tim Burton because that is one of the ugliest looking movies of all time. Did he do Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Yes, yeah, that's yes, right. he did. But people still like that's still in the early days for Tim. So when it comes to Ed Wood, that this movie always sat as a weird one because this is the least Tim Burton movie in his catalog of Tim Burton movies, including Pee Wee 
and the Batman movies, which are your more commercial movies based on a property that people already know, like Batman and Pee Wee. So Ed Wood stands as this weird movie because it's him doing very minute Tim Burton isms and he's doing a biopic, but he's doing it in a very unique fashion that is interesting. So it's always a movie I forget at points that it is a Tim Burton movie, even though it has all these Tim Burton actors in it and has these little Tim Burton motifs. There's also one of the few movies of his where Danny Elfman's not doing the music, and it really shows because it just makes it less of this overwhelming Tim Burton feel. Like, I love Danny Elfman's music in, in Tim Burton movies, but it's like those signatures of Tim Burtonisms just doesn't exist as strongly or as, as overbearing here. And that is what I love about this movie on a portion, uh, on a level, is just this movie feels like its own thing. It doesn't feel like the director is stepping in and putting his fingerprints all over it, even though there's a lot of things in here, like Tim Burton's relationship with Vincent Price in real life is very mirror image of Edward and Bela Lugosi, and we'll get into that. But what about you? What's your history with Tim Burton, your relationship with him? I've just seen, like, random films in his catalogue, and not even some of the major ones. Like, I've seen uh, the first Batman, I've seen this, and then I've seen a lot of his more, like, 2000s stuff, like Charlie, Charlie the Chocolate Planet Factory. of the Apes. I haven't seen that one. It's got um, Paul Giamatti. Yeah, cool. As an orangutan. Yeah, and like Alice in Wonderland and Dark Shadows. So I've, I think I've more so seen some of his lesser ones yeah. and not some of his major ones. But this one, you know, amongst that little bunch, not, obviously is my favourite one. Not Edward Scissorhands. No, not that one. Not Sweeney. Oof. Edward Scissorhands is like the the quintessential. Like that's I think most people would say that's the, the Tim Burton movie. Yeah, well, you know me. I'm not a normie. You're not a normie. Yeah, yeah. You're not. You're, you're, you're something else. Uh, so you have a relationship in which you've seen his shit work, and that's it? And Batman and this, yeah, I guess. That's it. Like, you've seen majority of his work, the shit stuff. Yeah, and in then cinemas, two, yeah. two good films in his catalogue. Pretty much, yeah. And obviously I know a lot of his, you know, quirks from, you know, reviews I've seen, or like... Or just watching homages. his movies. <laughs> and watching the movies, yes, yeah, so I know that, like, oh, you know, there's, like, quirky... Johnny Depp stuff, like, I, I totally understand that. Yes, and Helen Bonham Carter's in there always. Yep. And <laughs> it's his wife, right? Was his wife. Was his wife. That when they divorced, people made jokes of, who's going to get custody of Johnny Depp? <laughs> <laughs> it seems she has, because she's worked with him more after, since than he has with Tim Burton. So, Edward, um, just to give a bit of background, Edward was a real guy. Yeah, of course. This, like you said to to your stepbrother, this was a real guy. Mm-hmm. He existed. Edward D. Wood. Edward D. Wood Jr., mm-hmm. which is a great name to give your child, and he was considered the one of the worst filmmakers of all time. Directed the worst film of all time. You know, worst film of all time. What that actually means was at the time. The worst in terms of enjoyably bad films. If it was actually the worst film, you know, like, you yeah. couldn't watch it. Uh, Plant 9 from Outer Space. And this movie just kind of is the bio of his journey to that point. Like, how he became the guy that we know as the maker of film, you know, Plant 9 from Outer Space. His movies leading up to that and the struggle and the naive enthusiasm. Yeah. 
And this film obviously takes liberties, as do all Hollywood films that are bios. This has a very fairy tale approach to it all. Like, I'm sure that none of it was as upbeat and wonderful as it is in this movie. <laughs> if you read... Did you read the IMDb trivia? I read about half of it. I don't know who's in charge of the IMDb trivia on Edward, but... It's someone needs to clean that shit up because a lot of trivia is just repeated over and over again. And it's all about Bella Lugosi being inaccurately portrayed. And like one of them's like, and he unfathomably won an, an Academy Award for this portrayal of Bella Lugosi. It's like, what the fuck? Very you can biased, just tell yeah. <laughs> biased people who wrote these trivia points. Like these are supposed to be objective trivia points, but now they're subjective remember, rev- mini reviews. I, remember, and I just find that disrespectful. I remember the two. There was one where it's like Bella's son uh, criticized the language in the film. Then another one was like, he never said a negative thing about the film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, which is it? Um, so yeah, this is the journey of a bunch of misfits banding together. Now, Bartek, we have to get into this before we delve properly into this movie. There's a lot of people who are going to have watched this or have just heard what we said. Mm-hmm. Worst filmmaker of all time, group of misfits, how they get to the point of making the worst movie. I already saw that movie a few years ago. The Disaster Artist with, with James Franco and Dave Franco. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of comparability between these two movies, except for this one came out first. Um, I think it's valid to bring that up Mm -hmm. because history repeats itself. History repeats itself. My big thing is in terms of this movie and in terms of what we can scrape together from real life. Um, the difference is in this movie, it's a whole group of weirdos with the same weirdo vision. Yeah. Banded under one main guy though. Yes. And then in the room, it's Tommy was so it's a bunch of normal sane people. It's a bunch of Sarah Jessica Parkers yeah. working with one crazy guy who's in charge of everything, who's a monster. Yeah. That's the difference. A lot more aggressive about having it his way and very rich. And mysterious. And mysterious. So get that out of the way. I think that's what makes this movie more enjoyable for me, if you have to compare the two, but also just on its own, is I empathize with Ed Wood in this movie. You feel the struggle, but also you can't truly empathize with him because he's just so dang goofy. Yeah. And he just doesn't get it. And he's just like, there are, gotta keep there, getting yeah. the next take. I've got 25 fil- scenes to film tonight, Bella. Yeah. And there are little moments in the film where like, if it was if he was acting a bit differently, he would be like, oh, this is a really scummy thing he's doing. But yeah. He's so wide-eyed about it that it's like, oh, good for you, man. Yeah, he's trying. He's, he, he's playing the game. Like when he's like, oh, Bella's died. That's really sad. Oh, I'll get this guy to replace him. It'll be his last film. It's like, you know, that kind of spits on his legacy, but you're so happy about it. They were friends. It's what yeah. Bella would have wanted. And also for people that are listening to this, just to get out of the way, um, whenever we say Ed Wood and Bella, we're not talking about Twilight. Yeah, we're <laughs> I, I didn't even think of that until I read the trivia. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so for this movie, the thing that makes it for me, and I don't know how you feel, but the thing that makes it is not just Johnny Depp's performance. That's that's one of the things I love, but it's the central relationship between Ed Wood and Bella Lugosi. Yep. The film, that relationship, that dynamic, it's the heart of the film. And it's what elevates this film to beyond a shadow of a doubt one of Tim Burton's best films to date. The dynamic between the two of them, that friendship, it feels so genuine. 
Mm. It feels so real, but also cartoony enough in which Bella Lugosi's like, I'm going to fucking shoot myself. <laughs> and and his, and and Edward's like, no, 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 don't. I can get you. Don't do that. Have a drink first. And like, the, like, yeah, and I really love how the moment where Bella, like, <laughs> you know, turns in his favor is when when Edward tells him, oh, you're a lot scarier in real life. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, Thank you. <laughs> this weirdo dynamic. That's what truly engages me each time I watch it. Just And thinking about how this was a real dynamic that these two guys had. It's, it's such a crazy, weird world. And then on top of that, the dynamic that is being built upon is mirroring real-life relationship between Tim Burton and Vincent Price. You know who Vincent Price is. Yes, Vincent Price not was, as well as these two guys. But Vincent not, Price know. was in Edward Scissorhands, but died. So his role is very short, and and he doesn't really speak because they didn't get to really film many scenes, and he was too weak. So it's like again a mirroring of what happens to Ed Wood later on when Bell Lugosi died before they could start production. So it's like this weird symbiotic kind of like history repeating itself, and you know I think that's a part of what actually makes this film work is. Tim Burton drawing upon this actual real life thing on multitude of levels, the real life story of Ed Wood and the real life story of him and Vincent Price. And that's gives this film more of an authenticity than it could be because this film's goofy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> what about this film really strikes a chord with you? Well, and part of the reason why I thought to do this for our podcast is because, again, with history repeating itself, I felt like there are a lot of things that really gel with us in this. Because you and I, we're both fans of, you know, So Bad It's Good media. And this film does take a look at, you know, real life mixed with uh, the production of fake uh, or, or media productions. Yeah, yeah. Um, which even we did that for our university show. We loved yeah. the disaster artists in the room. Yeah. Um, and I felt like you know that that would be a good choice for the two of us to discuss. Yeah. Um, and that was that was probably the primary reason why I chose it. On top of me loving it. Yeah, I think you know. Yeah, that stuff is what we both really love. Is the the troubled production. Yeah. Stories, troubled production with eccentric people, like uh, Troll Two, Troll Two, uh, with its follow-up documentary, uh, uh, not Disaster, best worst movie, best worst movie. We personally love that, and seeing a big Hollywood film do a story like this with such love. Mm. See, that's the thing I didn't feel one hundred percent with the Disaster Artist. I felt at points it was too artificially loving of Tommy because Tommy's alive and has dictation on how things should be. Mm -hmm. So Tommy's never a monster. Well, this movie is like this romanticizing love of a figure that's no longer with us, but like, and it skips over the nastiness. Like alcoholism and stuff. That's the thing I love about this movie too, is it's goofy. It's got this sentimental romanticism, but every time it gets to a peaking moment of, like, swooning Hollywoodisms. It crashes you back down with reality creeping in. So it's like, me and Bella Lugosi, we're best friends. We're making movies. We're having a jolly old time. And then the movie will be like, yeah, Bella Lugosi is a fucking drug addict. We're not going to dwell on this really heavily, but that's the real life shit. And then, yes, we're best friends. We're having, what's, what's this? He has to go to rehab. Shit. Like, you know, that kind of thing. And then the ending 
is the pinnacle where there's the Hollywood music swell. It's raining outside. He's like, I love you. You've got you. the affirming clapping scene. Yeah. He's like, I love you. And they're like going to drive off and in the rain and it's all beautiful. The then epilogue text. the epilogue text <laughs> is like, he died penniless and broken as a drunk making sex films for perverts. And like, but she never remarried. And like, this guy's dead. And this one's still <laughs> a fucking terrible actor. It's like all of these fucking hardcore hits of reality that just makes you go oh jesus i was having fun this yeah, whole time and true. then well, with sentimentality though like he, and he has a new era of fans and stuff yeah like that. yeah but also think about it for the real one the only one who went on to success is sarah jessica parker's character because she fucking left <laughs> she went to go write songs with elvis hit songs with Elvis and it's like she's the only one who went on to genuine success because she left. <laughs> Didn't it say that the two guys that played the police and Plan 9 like run studios or something? No, one of them runs a fan club for himself. Oh, right. And the other one's considered the Gilgood of bad acting. <laughs> Because I noticed that at the end of the credits, under special thanks, it was um, the didn't remarry and those two guys. Yeah, yeah. So they were clearly still alive. Yeah. So... How do you feel about Johnny Depp as an actor and performer? Do you think he's a good actor? Do you think he's a good performer? And how do you feel about how the man is? Everything I've seen of him in films, you know, he, he gets into character, does a good job, whether I like the film or not. Um, whenever I see him in interviews or think about him, he always seems... And I'm mainly thinking of, like, a Graham Norton video I saw not too long ago. He, I don't know, he, he seems... Very low energy, yeah. low key, doesn't smile as much, except for like, you know, little moments. So seeing him in this film where he's, you know, speaking in that voice that you were just doing with all Golly these wide gee. eyes, happy expressions, it's, it was really crazy to look at. I like the way he wins underwear. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, you're right. The real life guy, he seems very low energy, very artsy, mm. very soft spoken very kind of like, yeah, a drunkard. Uh schmoozing boozing kind of guy yeah i like johnny depp i do he hasn't done many great roles at recent time but uh, like tim burton i've loved so many of his roles in the past and i think of him as he's not a great actor he's a great performer he loves to perform for you. I don't think he's that nuanced as an actor. He's a nuanced performer. He likes to put on a show for you. I did read that one of the trivia points was that um, he found this role really refreshing mm. because he, it was very different from a lot of the crazy stuff that he was doing. Yeah, he is. You know, I always think of him in John Waters' Crybaby in which he's like a 1950s greaser pretty boy who's like a bit of a dumbass and, and you know, as weirdo roles and like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and he, he likes to play characters. He likes to, he wants to be a character actor, but he's too damn good looking. So he has to be a leading man. <laughs> he wishes he was Stephen Root. He wishes <laughs> That's a good point. that he was, you know, he wishes that he could be Stephen Root. But unfortunately, he looks like Johnny Depp, so he can't be. He's stuck in this world in which... It's like Ryan Reynolds, how Ryan Reynolds wasn't allowed to do comedy movies because he was just too handsome, so he had to do rom-coms and leading man roles. And now people are like, 
hey, you can do your comedy movies all you like. We don't mind now because you're getting older and we can allow it now. But when you were young and hot, you had to be that guy leaning on the poster next to a woman and going like, oh boy. Just make a mockumentary about these people like trying to get into accidents. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like because they're so rich and famous and people love them, people keep saving them. <laughs> this is probably my favourite Johnny Depp performance, mm-hmm. honestly. I, I describe it like he's like a puppy. He's just such an enthusiastic little puppy that's, like, you know, just so happy to be anywhere. Like, at no point, like, even when he's getting down in the dumps, he's still so optimistic. Yeah, like, when he's like, you need to give me the rest of the money. I gave you all $300. (laughs) Yeah, I, I love his performance. I love the comedy timing that he injects into this performance. Like, every time he makes a confession about his cross dressing is hilarious. But he delivers it with sincerity, but it's just the clipped manner of speech he does, the time period, and, like, the, you know, the way he gestures his head around, like, it's just so... And the teeth. The teeth, too, because he's got these fake teeth, and that gives him this little bit of a lisp, and it makes his mouth constantly agape, open with this rictus grin of a madman. (laughs) He's, like... There's that scene at the end with the end cards and it's like him smiling crazily and it's just like you read his what happened to him. You're like, of course this happened to him. Look at him. He's crazy. Um, with so many characters in this movie, Bartek, mm-hmm. of course you chose this because you love movies with lots of wacky side characters we meet along the way. Mm. Do you have a particular favourite character in this movie that isn't obviously Ed Wood? Or Bella. There are a lot of good ones, and this might feel typical of me, but I, of course, love Tor Johnson. Of course he did. Yeah. Rub my toes. <laughs> Get with my toes. Such a hairy man. <laughs> Such a hairy, hairy man. I also like Bill Murray as well as Bunny. Bunny. Oh, Bunny was great. I loved when Bunny gets baptised. <laughs> sure. Does that pure... <laughs> and this is when Bill Murray was at his lowest of points. This was... In the 90s, Bill Murray, like, had nothing but shitty movies going on. Like, this was before Bill Murray did Wes Anderson stuff and before he became, like, this living god of comedy meme lord in which he does best man speeches at weddings. He's never... He doesn't know anyone or, like, attends people's parties and does the bar. Like, he does shit like that. This was in the 90s when he was doing movies in which it was, like... It's me and an actual elephant and I'm improving with an elephant. And you're like, oh, Bill. So, to do a Tim Burton movie, and I think, has he done any other Tim Burton movies? I'm not too sure. Not that I can think of. Uh, he's perfect. <laughs> he's, he's, his maudlin, depressing kind of voice adds so much to this. And I love the fact that he's got, like, this, you know, this white blonde hair going on or whatever it is. And he's just like, oh, yeah, that's Bill Murray, huh? Jeez, like, he's in this bunny... And I love his epilogue card. It's like, after all this talk, he never did get that sex change operation. (laughs) He's still around today or whatever back in the 90s. And it's just like, oh, poor Bunny. I hope Bunny's happy. (laughs) uh, And Bunny's just a character that's in there. Like, I don't even know. I can't even remember what Bunny is to them. Like, what is Bunny? Wasn't Bunny the... Oh, you're talking about in real... I guess they were friends? He was just a guy, just right? Just another kooky person, this kooky guy's friend. Like, because he wasn't a financier or... or pre- he didn't do anything in the movie. He was just an actor. He knew a bunch of drag queens, so maybe... Because he... Of course he does. Because then you have... um, 
uh, what's his name? The one who opens the movie. Uh, Criswell? Criswell, who's played by uh, Rooney from Ferris Bueller's. Uh, from Ferris Bueller. You remember Rooney? Principal Rooney? Oh, that was him. That's Rooney. Ah, I can't tell about the moustache. Oh, I've seen him without the moustache because he's the dad in Beetlejuice and he's great in Beetlejuice. Uh, uh, let's not forget that that guy in real life turned out to be a child sex predator. Chris yeah. Well. Mm-hmm. Oh dear. That wasn't in the epilogue. No, no, no. The the actor, not the actual Chris Well. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So Ferris Bueller. It, it, that's why whenever they do Ferris Bueller material, where they get the real life actors, they don't get him because okay. he's shady as shit. But uh, doesn't mean that he wasn't a good performer. I fucking love him as Chris Well in this. I love that. Yeah, there are just some scenes or shots where you can see him just lying to someone <laughs> walking by and that voice yeah Criswell knows all <laughs> and even like when he first talks to Edward and Bella like he's just surrounded by all these like weird people mm. it's easy for me to say Criswell is probably my favorite one of my favorite side characters because I love that actor and he's you know he did Tim Burton stuff before but I really do love Sarah Jessica Parker in this movie as Dolores she's like the villain of the movie because she's like the only real person that can like stand up to them and be like you're making shit when she leaves it's like the best like it's just like that's there's a reality creeping in again like every time they're there partying he's he's in full drag and everyone's having a great time and Tor Johnson's having a conversation with Bonnie about sex change and isn't at all prejudice about it and then she comes in someone who from our perspective because the movie's done such a good job of putting us in the world is the villain like she's in- the person coming in and being the meanie but in the, if you remove yourself she's right if this <laughs> if this was the disaster writer she'd be the main character greg she, she's right like all they were doing was making shit and not even getting any profit out of it. The Bride of the Monster was the only movie Edward made that was financially successful out of all of his movies. <laughs> like, that's the one. And it's just like, and she leaves. But I just, I loved her in this movie. She's funny. I love when we see her character act and she's shit at it. <laughs> and then when they cut, she's, they were like, perfect. Of course it was. Like, just storms off set. Like, I'm actually a huge fan of Sarah Jessica Parker. Like, I love her in Hocus Pocus and this, in Mars Attacks. And I like Sex and the City, and I actually do like her in that. Um, and she's she seems like a sport in real life about all these jokes about her looks and, and, and crap like that. Uh, but I love her here, because this is the movie that gave us the you have the face like a horse line. Mm, yeah. This is the movie that raised public awareness that she looks like a horse. I still don't quite see it, but yeah, I hear the joke all the time. Oh, I see it. <laughs> what did we do that sh- had her in it? Was it Failure to Launch? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Fucking love her and Matthew McConaughey. Um, with this movie, it's shot in black and white. Mm-hmm. Now, some people don't like seeing movies that are in black and white. We know a few people. Mm. Mentioned on the podcast before, there's a friend of ours that studied film. And I often go, you studied film, but you don't like movies and he like refuses to watch movies in black and white and i'm like well, why did you do film uh how do you feel about black and white movies and how do you feel about this movie being in black and white would you be interested in seeing a version of this in color or what 
I remember as a kid, I might have had a little bit of that sentiment, just because I didn't watch any and I was used to colour, but growing up, I never had a problem with it. In fact, I think it looks good at times. And in this film, they purposely, I read in the trivia, they purposely did makeup in such a way that they'll make things stand out more in black and white. Yes, and you even have a, to. Yeah, and there's even a joke at one point where a colourblind person's like, I can't tell what colour anything is. <laughs> the meta joke. Yeah. The, the dark grey one. Yeah, honestly, I have no problem with it, and the fact that they're covering all this old material that recreates films that were in black and white and scenes that were in black and white, it, I feel, adds to it. And of course there's the, you know, rumoured reason as to why this was shot in black and white, which was no one could agree what Bella Lugosi would look like in colour, right? right? Because (laughs) we never really had movies with him in colour, if ever. Yeah, that's true. So, what would he look like in colour, which would be like... Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's something that's put forth. Like, do you know what Bela Lugosi looks like in colour? I can't think of an image. I mean, not in live action, but I've seen, like, you know, cartoon Draculas that are based on him. No, Bartek, (laughs) that doesn't count. What, that wasn't him in Scooby-Doo? No, it wasn't him. (laughs) That was actually Vincent Price. (laughs) There's a Vincent Price vampire in original Scooby-Doo. He tries to offer them a Coca-Cola, but they're like... (gasps) No! <laughs> um, I love the black and white in this movie. This is probably one of my favourite movies that implements black and white. One, the cinematography is gorgeous. Their lighting's gorgeous. It's just like every shot, you just go, what would this look like in colour? I don't want to know what it looked like in colour. The thing about Tim Burton as well, one has to remember, is you think of his films being so colourful. You know, think of these bright blues and pinks and gr- greens and... All these exaggerated colours. Yeah, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was really colourful. Yeah, and, you know, although I find his films visually terrible to look at now, because it has this real processed, weird kind of look. All the ones I was thinking of that I'd seen are like, wait, dude. And then Charlie was like, oh, wait, that one. Yeah, Charlie, back in the day when he did it. But uh, this one's in black and white. Even the Batman movies had colour, these exaggerated colours, mm. you know? Yeah, Joker's green hair. And, you know, his whole outfit and, you know, when he's poisoning people with, you know, all that. This movie's in black and white. It's an odd choice. I love it. It's, you know, this is one of those movies where I go, if you think that you can't handle black and white, watch this movie. It may change your mind because it's such an upbeat, easygoing Mm. movie. But you understand instantly from the get go when you meet Criswell and they're reenacting stuff from Plan 9, you understand exactly why this isn't black and white. Even if you don't like black and white movies, this is one of those films that I would say, yeah, check it out. If you have a like a disdain for black and white movies, give this one a go. It may change your mind. Because yep. there's so many great movies that are black and white. There's some movies in colour that I go, I wish that was in black and white. You know, uh, mainly older movies when they started transitioning to colour, I'm like, ah, oh, this would look better in black and white. And there were some movies that still in the 60s were in black and white because it, they thought it looked better. And it was cheaper. Uh, what are some things that you want to talk about this movie? Do you have any negatives? To be honest, I was trying to think of some negatives and I'm really, honestly, not too sure on some negatives. Do you have any? Uh, I think there's only like two negatives I would have. And they're obvious ones, but they need to be addressed it would have been great if we saw his alcoholism. <laughs> right, right. It would have been great so to something they have didn't that do, so yeah. it didn't throw you as off when it came... Because I remember when I first watched it, not knowing the context of who Edward was, I just watched this as a film. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and this film obviously introduced a lot of people to who Edward was. Um, it threw me off majorly, and it made me a bit depressed. Like, oh, he okay, just yeah. became a drunk. Okay, I didn't really see that in this movie. Like, yeah, he drinks, but it's like the time period, and everyone's drinking and smoking. You know, it was kind of odd. So that, and, you know, for whatever reason, you know, Tim Burton wasn't satisfied with Vincent D'Onofrio's... Oh, right, yeah, the dub. Uh, Orson Welles. But it is very jarring to see well-known actor Vincent D'Onofrio, who was well-known even back then, even if he was on the up-and-coming. He was in Full Metal Jacket already by this point. So people knew him. And you have well-known voice actor who's already been doing this voice in a well-known children's cartoon series dubbed over a well-known actor and it just throws you off like uh, as much as i love this movie and i love that scene i kind of just wish that tim burton had more confidence in vincent d'onofrio's performance even if it was a weak performance yeah, I think it just is jarring. That scene just feels jarring. I love the scene in a script format, like reading it and thinking about what's being said. But when I actually watch it, I get thrown off that that's the voice that is in Pinky in the Brain. <laughs> the not naff one. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that scene always sticks in my head because it's like, oh, wow, he meets Orson Welles late in the Orson film. Wells, yeah. And the... The, the last two times I watched the film, that scene felt incredibly shorter than I remembered it because I feel like, yeah, maybe maybe the dub didn't work in a lot of the shots and they had to make it shorter. Like, it yeah. feels like it's over really quickly. At the same time, that kind of works. It does. It's short, but it's just so odd. Because apparently everything that happens when he meets him onwards is a bit more fictionalized. Like, oh, it <sighs> wasn't. You mean <laughs> one of my favorite lines, which is, uh, excuse me, Mr. Wood, Where's where's the cockpit set? You're standing in it, and like he's looked around, they've already put the cockpit set behind, like he's already in it, like because they pushed it around him while he was talking. Yeah. It's like this fantastical wonderland, and he like walks into the Christians, and he's like, "I'm gonna direct this any way I want to, and you're gonna back it, and that's how it's gonna work. I'm gonna do it," and everyone's like, "Yay!" <laughs> like, like yeah, that's my negatives with this movie. I think the score is amazing. I think everyone is nailing it performance-wise. Like, everyone's on the right level of camp. Mm. Uh, the right level of goofy, but with also the right level of sentiment. Like, I never feel like, even Bill Murray, I never feel like anyone's phoning it in or doing this I ironically, even though there's obviously a lot of satire and irony to their performances. Johnny Depp is obviously... Like, he based his performance on, like, Ronald Reagan and something else. Yeah, And it's just something. like, right, okay. Uh, and, you know, Edward probably didn't even sound like that. But it doesn't matter because he's just so high energy, as is everyone else. And it just comes across, like, beautiful. Hmm. Beautiful stuff. Yeah, not exaggerating. I like, yeah, like, Tor Johnson, when we first meet him, he's, like, wrestler persona, eating a bunch. But then every time he, like, interacts with someone, it's, like, heartfelt, like, hey, what what happened in Mexico? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, Tor Johnson's, like, such a sweetheart. And, of course, he's one of your favorites. Like, <laughs> like yeah, Tor Johnson, he wasn't a monosyllabic ape monster in real life. <laughs> but in this, he is. Like, he's just, like, this big hulking, like... <laughs> So you said that this is the first time you... Uh, watching the film the first time was the first time you heard of Edward Jr. Yeah. Mm. I knew of Plan 9, but I didn't know who made it. Mm, okay. Like, I don't think really he was that 
well known in that capacity until this probably this film onwards or like even a little bit before when the the golden was it the golden turkeys awards came out but like yeah i didn't just didn't know who he was until seeing this movie so this was like my introductory course to him and i had not watched any of his movies until years after watching this because you know i i wasn't ready to watch them and i have and i they're they're a tough watch (laughs) um I've tried to watch Glenn or Glenda and I just couldn't get through it because I find it incredibly dull. Plan Nine's amazing. <laughs> Plan Nine's fucking amazing. I know you're not a big fan of Plan Nine. I need to. I need to rewatch it because when I started watching his films, I was already in like the so bad it's good films that we're already used to these days, where there are a lot more like The Room and Troll Two. Yeah, a lot more like. I mean, this his films were also incompetent, but they they felt a lot more stiff. Stiff. What's they they felt like they were giving it their all a bit more, I guess. Yeah. So, and I was basically thinking like, oh, they're not like you know logically as dumb as like you know stuff in the room where it's like, why would this character say this thing? It's because you know a weird foreign guy wrote the dialogue. So you're more loving when. The incompetence is in the script heavily than than the pure filmmaking. Because the thing about Ed Wood Plan Nine is the incompetence. Yeah, the scripts are passable. They're not great. A lot of dialogue doesn't mean anything, but they're not laughably as much as say Tommy Wiseau. But his filmmaking is more laughable than Tommy Wiseau, where you have a grave falling over and this thing like artifice. Yeah, yeah. I and I feel like I'm grown up more now that I can get it and be into it a bit more. What you're saying is you've watched Neil Breen, so you can handle Edward <laughs> easy. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, I watched it with a group of people, and I don't think they were into it as much either. So maybe I was just you know following their vibes. But I think I'd enjoy it a bit more, and I've seen the other two films that he made in this film, the Glenn or Glenda and Bride of the Monster. Yeah. I remember actually liking Glenn or Glenda for the most part, but Bride of the Monster, I think I've forgotten a lot about. I I just remember watching Glenn or Glenda and most 80% of it is narration over stock footage and just footage of Edward looking at things and getting things and then like there's a dream sequence with a devil or something and it's just fine like I didn't find it mm. as laughable as Plan 9 because Plan 9 has characters and characters characters more while Glenn or Glenda is just kind of things being told to you like a man likes wearing an Angora sweater and it's, I remember there's yeah. a whole fucking five minute speech about did you know why men go bold? It's because they wear hats that are too tight for their heads. And I'm like, oh, geez. it's very much a film of Ed Wood just, you know, telling you telling things. you things about his life as this film tells you. Yeah, I, I'd first heard of uh, Ed Wood and his whole thing from uh, James Rolfe and his Cinemasca channel. Right, right. He made right. a lot of because he's a big cinemaphile, and he made a bunch of like tribute videos and reviews of his films, and it all sounded very interesting. The first thing I ever saw that had anything to do with Ed Wood was um, he made a musical tribute that was a parody of Johnny B. Good called Edward D. Wood about the right, 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 so, right. And that always just stuck in my head. And before we did this episode, I even just rewatched that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Uh, Good times. Yes. So with the film Ed Wood, to get back to, to it, mm-hmm. we have Oscar-winning actor Martin Landau. Yep, as Bella. Having won the Oscar for playing this. 
do you think he deserved an Oscar for it? Because IMDb's trivia, which is supposed to be objective, by the way, <laughs> um, doesn't. Just fun facts, Ryan. It's not biased. Um, it's not written by the Bella Lugosi fan club at all. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, because between the first and second viewing, as I said before, there is a long, long time, probably a full decade, um, but I still remember very distinct things from that first viewing that every time they happened in the second and third viewing, I was just like, yep, I remember this. Like, just little moments right. of his acting. Like, when he's talking about, when, when he first comes to his house, he's talking about how, like, horror films these days aren't as good as back then. If you want to make a girl yeah. wet or whatever he said, <laughs> you know, take her to see Dracula. Like, I always remember that he, yeah, line. Yeah, he has, he has a whole speech about, like, women love blood because it reminds them of birth. And, <laughs> like, this whole thing. And here's the thing. Because of the performance and because of the script and the tone of the whole movie, because of everything, that speech could come across, to some, very gross and narrow-minded and misogynistic and whatever taboo kind of social taboo yeah. social whatever crap that people like to get offended at in movies but because of everything in the movie for me and for most people you buy it you you go yeah yeah that's what people loved about those movies especially women yeah yeah i totally buy this understanding and then later you meet patricia arquette's character who's just a female ed wood and she's like the person that bella was talking about that loves dracula because of these reasons and you're like yeah yeah that's the most Tim Burton-y moment when they go to the spook house. Mm. That's like every Tim Burtonism like you can have in the movie. Like the little car has those squiggly eyes that are just so Tim Burton, and the snake head that pops out of the roof looks exactly like the snake head in uh, Beetlejuice. And it's like, oh Tim, you couldn't hold yourself <laughs> down for too long, could you? Yeah, but back on Bella, there's just so many facets to the performance there, like. In the first few scenes of him, you know, he's saying all these, like, ideological things, like, oh, back then it was great, now it's this. And then he still has, like, these weird mannerisms, like, where he wants to be a vampire, like, yeah. he's trying to seduce El Elvira on the, on the TV, almost, yeah. almost said computer, but then he has to get up, go to the kitchen, and it's just, like, this... Weird mix. Weird mix of, like, he's doing very human things, but in, like, very horror production values. Yes. Like, silhouette getting bigger, smaller. Well, let's not forget how we get introduced to him in this movie, which he's is in him the in the coffin doing the pose. <laughs> yep. And he's complaining that the coffin's too restrictive because he can't... He can't I can't fold my fucking arms! <laughs> Even though he was. He can barely fold him. Yeah. And and the coffin guy is just like, I'm so sorry. And that guy, I'm like, I know this guy from something. He's like a little character actor. And he was in Wayne's World. And he was in Twin Peaks. And like, I don't even remember who he was in Wayne's World. He's just like an announcer. But I'm like, I do know that image of this bald guy. And he's like, one of those little guys that has only done like 50 things. And it's always like small, minute character roles and everything. And I'm like, hmm, that's what Johnny Depp wants to be, is the coffin guy. He wants to be the, the coffin co salesman. Oh, I know who that actor is. His name's Stephen Root. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. We did notice uh, uh, Rick from Falling Down yep. is in this movie. I'll be 100% honest. It wasn't until the Boris Karloff scene where he's like, I love you, you as Karloff's sidekick. The side exact kick, same with me. That it was Rick. I thought up until then he was Tim Blake Nelson, another favourite of ours on the show. Mm -hmm. uh, you remember Tim Blake from Fido? 
uh, and and I thought it was him, but then it was like, oh no, that's Rick from Falling Down, the burger manager, yeah, I'm just, whammy I'm just... burger manager. So we're all here. Yeah, just something about that scene. He like made an expression. I'm like, I know that shit eating grin. <laughs> it's Rick. It's Rick. Why am I calling you by your first names? I don't even know you. But that scene in which he wants the autograph and he makes the faux pas of mentioning Karloff and that's like one of my favourite Legosi scenes because it's already been building because the, 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 the camera are... guy is already judging him for his needle marks uh, and then you know he has to shoot the scene and like there's all this stress and then that's the kappa it just, it just yeah. all explodes it's also one of the two running gags of the film with Legosi yeah, he doesn't like Karloff he doesn't like Karloff and people think he's dead yeah and that people think he's dead yeah 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 I just love whenever he does swear, and I know the IMDb trivia wants to really remind us that Bell Lugosi never swore in his life because he was a European gentleman, but in the context of the film, it works. It so works. Like I said before, when we were just about to start this, I said, all right, let's shoot this fucker. Like, this is just <laughs> these gutter lines. And yes, Martin Landau deserved an Academy Award for this performance. You could argue, oh, it's all through the makeup and his accent. There's more to it. Bartek just mentioned his physicality. This blending of the Dracula-isms, but also a real-life person-isms as well, which seems like a weird thing to mention, that he's also, like, a real guy. But, like, you know, he's doing it perfect. And it is genuinely upsetting when he leaves the film, when he's dead, you know, and you, you miss him. You go, I miss him as much as Ed Wood. I love that guy. Like, he was a he was a brash character, very opinionated, but also very reflective, very reflexive. You know, he, he was constantly thinking about his mortality and his legacy and always just wanted to make movies. Like, he had his former ego pop in every now and then but then also would ground himself i mean like he has that whole bella like boris karloff outburst but then in the same breath he'll be like you know what turn down frankenstein i thought it wasn't sexy for me you know (laughs) and every time he said he wanted to make a movie it was like so genuinely like i want to make another picture it's like give him a picture yeah (laughs) yeah yeah eddie when are we gonna make another one and you're like oh geez when are you do it now (laughs) and you know it's an interesting look into a Hollywood figure. Obviously, it takes its liberties, as mentioned by the IMDb trivia, which was so, so objective. I didn't notice. One of my, one of my nitpicks that I, I find annoying in movies um, is the funerals in which only the characters that we've met in the movies attend the funerals and yeah. no one else. Like, Bela Lugosi had other people at his funerals, famous people at his funeral. I remember when I watched the Baz Luhrmann Great Gatsby movie and I got really annoyed at, um, spoiler alert, Gatsby dies. Uh, And in the book, only like three people attend and it's like, you know, main character, guy with glasses and Gatsby's dad. But of course, Baz Luhrmann's like, only our main character. See, did you get it? No one attended his funeral. Boo hoo. I'm like, oh, that fucking sucks. Like, that's (laughs) lame. And in this movie... It would have been nice because one of my favorite Hollywood stories is uh, Peter Laurie, who is in Casablanca. Mm-hmm. You know Peter Laurie, the little weaselly one with the buggy eyes with the German accent. I believe I do, yeah. Yes, Rick. And uh, I can't remember who the other one was. I can't remember if it was Basil Rathbone or Peter Cushing, but someone else with him, another big horror icon, maybe Christopher Lee, I don't know. They were both at Bela Lugosi's funeral, and he's in the outfit, as they mention in the movie, open casket, he's in the Dracula cape and whatnot. And it was 
one of the most remarked of Peter Lorre being like, do you think we should put a stake through his heart just to make sure that he's actually dead? It's just like the kind of macabre humour of these people. And I don't know, like, there's that little part of me where I just go, I don't know, I would have liked that scene there because it's like what happened and it's a genuinely funny real-life thing. But in the context of this movie, they just want to focus on Ed Wood and his crew being the only people that actually interacted with him, which, you know, I get it, it's fine. Yeah. But it's like that's a real life story that's actually genuinely funny, and it actually injected something cool into the movie. Mm. Um, like that's my only nitpick when it comes to real life things that could have been added to the movie that is obviously glossed over for the you know for the format of film. We both understand this is a film. Yeah, we will cover in the future films probably that are biopics in which we complain about the tampering of real life events because in this movie it works because. The movie buys you in with its authenticity, but also its absolute love for the person it's covering and the people involved. That's the thing that differentiates it from other biopics in which I I could complain about the true event stories. Because if the film doesn't capture an absolute, uh, you know, love... uh, Love of the person it's covering, then you don't buy it. Um... And that's what I have to say about that. This movie does. It just brings you in with its fun atmosphere and just lovable characters. I'm trying to, I'm trying to twist your sentiments to like, what if it's a biopic about like a serial killer? It's like, they don't love this serial killer. Well, they have to, don't they? Like, yeah. there has to be like, yeah, obviously love and not just that way, but like, they have to love enough to show the good and the bad. Yeah. And that, yeah. that's my weakness. Like I said, I wish they, they, they showed his alcoholism because that is the bad aspect of who he was. And that's what my problem with The Disaster Artist was. I didn't feel the genuine nature and love for that biopic as much because Tommy Wiseau is still alive and dictating how he should appear. Well, Edward's fucking dead by this point and his wife, apparently, when she saw Johnny Depp on set and he had, like, the long scraggly hair and it's all messy, she commented, that's That's my my Eddie. Eddie. (laughs) (laughs) Which, God bless. Um, anything else you want to talk about when it comes to Edward? There's a lot of fun scenes and moments. We've got Bella Lugosi writhing around in a pool of water <laughs> with an octopus. We've got, um, uh, <laughs> Rance Howard being like, I want a big explosion. I yeah, want my just, son to be in it. <laughs> yeah, there are just so many, like, funny production things, like the executive meddling and stuff like that. Can we talk about Mike Starr's character, who's the guy who's like, I make shit! These are the movies I make. You recognized him, of course. He was so familiar, but I'm struggling to... You always forget who Mike Starr is. And it's always frustrating because whenever we've had him on movies, I always relate him to one of our most popular episodes and the one of the movies that you thoroughly enjoyed, Baby's Day Out. And each time I go, he's in Baby's Day Out. And you go, oh, who was he in Baby's Day Out? And then I go, he's the guy who phones the police and he's sitting out front in a singlet. And you're going, oh, right, that's what you do. You go, (laughs) right, right, right. And then I go, will you remember this from next time I mention Mike Starr? And you're like, I will. And then you don't. Like We were watching, as a group, Black Dynamite. And he's in Black Dynamite as an antagonist. I'm like, hey, look, it's Mike Starr. And you're like, who's that? And I go, remember him in Baby's Day? Out? Who was he in Baby's Day Out? He was the guy, and you're like, right, right, I remember that for next time. And it's like, I don't know what it is, but Mike Starr and Steven Root are two character actors that are in everything, and you've seen them in things, and they just kind of fly by your radar. Like when we watched uh, 
um, Red State. And I was like, oh yeah, the chief of police, that's Stephen Root. And you're like, that's Stephen Root? Oh, I didn't even know. And I'm like, of course, you have... You are like the opposite of Johnny Depp. You have you have blinders on for character actors. I can I can be very easily fooled. Don't confuse Mike Starr with John Carroll Lynch, who was in Agent Cody Banks as the as the guy who wanted to be the actor man that they use as a distraction. Well, no, no, not Agent Cody Banks. Catch that kid. Catch that kid, and they put a toupee on him. I will say the one of the writers of the script for Edward wrote Agent Cody Banks. I mean, yeah, star of writer. I mentioned this last episode when you suggested this film. These two writers are well known for doing bio things. So they did Ed Wood, The People versus Larry Flint. They did that American crime story, the one with o- about OJ with Cuba Gooding Jr. Mm-hmm. And they've just now done recently Dolomite Is My Name with Eddie Murphy. That's on Netflix, and people are like, ooh, Eddie Murphy could get an Academy Award for it. It seems like this is their thing. This is their thing. And they've honed it to a fine art. Like, this is probably the first entry in their... Together, these two guys together just love writing biopics of weirdos. <laughs> like, Dolomite Is My Name is basically Ed Wood again, but with black exploitation director... Uh, Rudy Ray Moore, who I've mentioned before, Rudy Ray Moore, is an iconic line in one of his movies, which is, Bitch, are you for real? (laughs) So, I can't think of anything else to say about Ed Wood, other than it's just a really underrated movie. For sure. I think its tone is really great. I just love Johnny Depp's performance. It's so goofy. Even when he says, don't get goofy on me. It's just so so quotable, this movie is as well. Like, it's a very quotable movie. Like, I got 25 scenes to film tonight, Bella. Like, just the absurdity of it all. The suspension of disbelief line. We don't have a permit. <laughs> <laughs> like, all this crazy nonsense. And yeah, we love these B-grade, C-grade, D-grade filmmakers because the journey to filmmaking... And creation, we know, is very difficult. And you have to have a matter of perspective. But these people, your Neil Breen's, your Tommy Wiseau's, I can't remember the people who did Troll 2, what they're called, but... Claudio Fagasso, I think? They just don't have these perspectives. They're in their complete world, Derek Savage, they're in their complete world of, like, ignorance, naive, or just complete ego. And some aspects of luck, yeah. And luck. Like, they're, they're in the situation at all. Yeah, and that's what we really in, engage with. These are the, the fascinating figures. And this film is, like, the king of exploring those figures. Like, Disaster Artist, if you liked it and you haven't checked out Edward even after listening to this, check out Edward. I think it's a, the superior film. I think when I saw The Disaster Artist, I was just struck by going, this is just the lesser version of Edward. Yeah, and the book was better. And the book's better, because, especially the audio book. I think the credits of this film said that this was based on a book. I'm hoping so. I don't know if the book's better in this case. Um, I hope it's narrated by Johnny Depp (laughs) doing his Ed Wood voice. (laughs) No, he's doing his Willy Wonka voice. Yeah, his Michael Jackson impression. That was what it was, wasn't it? What do you mean, of course it was? I never thought about it. How could you not? That was at the height of Michael Jackson being a weirdo. Like, he dangled his baby out a window and threatening to drop it. That was at the height of all this crazy... Wasn't that in the 90s? 
No, the, what, that was 2000s? late 90s, early 2000s. And yeah. Charlie came out 2002, 2003. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Boy. So, I think that's about it with Ed Wood. It's such a gem of a film, such a pleasurable film to watch. And it is one of those films that, uh, like I said, you can just put it on with a group of people. Yeah. And they all get something out of it. There's always a bit of humor there in each scene that just kind of gets you through. <laughs> yeah, I'm shocked at how much I enjoyed it the third time through. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it is a true, true gem. A true beauty. So, Bartek, my pick next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing a movie that we were going to do in October. Okay. We had some guests lined up to do this film in October. And so it's a horror movie pick. Uh, I just felt like we're on holidays, so we have a lot more free time to record. And it's a movie that I wanted to watch at the time. And then we had to push things back. And now it's been months and months and months. And I wanted to get these guys on because, uh, you know, they'll be a good fit. We'll leave who they are for, for next week. So if we have a recurring thing of guests just dropping out or being smote. Uh, we, or smitten. Or, or smitey. Um, Evan or smitey. So uh, we'll be covering an Australian film. Mm-hmm. So what, this is like the second or third Australian film we've ever covered on the show? Yeah, well, guess so. <laughs> And again, a horror film. So, how many Australian films have we done? We've done, like, Two Hands, Wolf Creek 2. That's it? I think that's it. So, another horror film. Oh, Rise and Fall of Baal. Of course, of course. Um, and, and Finding Emo. So <laughs> Okay, this is the fifth. <laughs> so, we are doing a two, 2009 film, I do believe, mm-hmm. uh, called the, the Loved Ones. Okay. Australian horror film. Yeah, very fun movie. Uh... It's a movie that is a uh, very Australian horror exploitation, or as we call it, Ozploitation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, hopefully you enjoy it. Hopefully the listening people check it out in between this episode and when that comes out, and hopefully you guys enjoy it. Uh, if you enjoy, you know, what we have been talking about in this episode of Edward, like, did you watch Edward? Let us know what you thought about it. We've got a... Facebook and Twitter, Spin Posh Presents. You can find us pretty easy. You can also email us with your thoughts about things we've covered or thoughts about things we've said or movie suggestions or threats or, or, or pleasurable comments. Or funny ideas you have. I don't, I'm not interested in ideas. <laughs> well, we'll just forward them to me then. Okay. At www. That's a website, not an email. Pornhub <laughs> dot forward slash forward, forward slash user forward slash big dick six nine six nine. No, 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 not user channel big dick six nine six nine, and then you do it in the comment section. So that Bartek, did you know Neil Breen's movies are all on Pornhub? Uh, they must be. <laughs> they are no joke. They're all on Pornhub, all up there for some reason. So. Check out the loved ones. Uh, e- say, uh, uh, hold on, hold on. Okay. Uh, 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 Gmail, uh, email Gmail is in the description, but for those who want to hear it with their ears, it's spitandpolished at gmail.com. Spitandpolished at gmail.com. And rate and review us on the podcatchers that allow it. It is greatly appreciated. It steams, steamboat willies my ego. And Bartek's minorly. He he likes comments in which people... I like Popeye more. He likes Popeye more. He's a spinach boy. Uh, so, Bartek, wonderful. 
thank you for the movie suggestion. Hopefully, my movie doesn't scare you too much with horror. But isn't getting scared a good thing in this case? Too much. I said too much. Too much. Oh, I see. You see, see, too much of a good thing. Yeah, you you see, when you put too much, that means it's too much. It's excessive. If I said, I hope it doesn't scare you too little, that would also be a bad thing. I I didn't say, I hope this movie doesn't scare you at all. At all. I see. I put the I put the quantifier there. It's, it's this is you, Ryan thinking. It's you who made the faux pas there. In fact, mm. apologize to the movie that we're doing next week. I'm sorry, the loved ones. I loved ones, you. Pikachu. Detective Pikachu. See, I was, I was thinking I was smart, because earlier I was going to say a pun, like, you're a historian Ryan, historian, but then I didn't. <laughs> now I look dumb. You are. That, it wasn't worth it to get there. It would have made sense at the time. You were saying something about history, and I was like, oh, I could have said that. Well, thank you very much, listening people. Until next time, remember the history of the world is great. Part one. <laughs> I was actually trying to lead you to make a joke again, but you were like, no, I want to make a Mel Brooks reference. <laughs> to a movie I haven't seen. Oh, we got to do that one on the show. I need to see more Brooks. You dropped five cents. Everyone, Ryan's dropping money. <laughs> <laughs>